This is the Dive Bomb Squadcast, presented by Dive Bomb Industries. What's up, guys and gals? Asher Tolliver here, back with another episode of the Dive Bomb Squadcast. I hope this finds you all doing well, counting down the days to those early honkers. Today, I am joined by a couple really good friends of mine in the industry. Some of you may know them as the host of the Big Honker podcast, others as the men behind Stanfield Hunting Outfitters, Mr. Jeff Stanfield and Mr. Andy Shaver. What's good down there in Knox City, Texas, guys? We are 25 days away from uh, September 1, Texas. That will be uh, dove season, which is a Texas holiday, opening day of dove season. So, that's what we're looking forward to. Not much longer. Get ready for some cool weather. I got to tell you, the north wind blew the other day, and it was gorgeous outside. I'm so ready. Man, it was nice to go outside a couple days ago, even the last few nights, and not just feel the humidity and sweat on your back at 10 o'clock at night. So that's been... That means it's coming. I don't know. It, it will probably go back to being, a, you know... 100% humidity in the next few days, probably right before we go up to North Dakota. But uh, now I thought you've been vacationing this whole time. What are you What are you talking about? You've well, been living no, I, a good I, life. You've been on the beach. Well, I was on the beach uh, last week. I was in Destin, and that was nice. We had a good time with the with the family and the kids. One last little breather before before the grind gets here. It's coming. How has coming retirement quick. been? How How has retirement uh, from baseball been? Oh, Same man. as everybody else is playing baseball this, right this now. Been, yeah, like, yeah. You know, everybody's like, the, like, dude, you you had a horseshoe up your ass. Like, what's what's going on, man? Like, nobody's getting to play this year. I mean, obviously the uh, big leagues they've gotten gotten going, and and mm-hmm. hopefully they're able to keep going with with what they they've had some positive tests, games canceled, and they're already running on a you know a sprint sixty game season. So we'll see what happens. But goodness gracious, if I didn't ever pick a pick a good time to. Uh, make a move and, and get out and transition my life toward all in dive bomb. But, you know, I appreciate you guys joining me. You know, this is going to be fun because when we normally sit down for a podcast, I think maybe three times I've joined you guys on the big honker. Y'all are the ones asking the questions. So today, I don't know, maybe one, one, one intro twice down there, probably maybe four or five, but, but today I get to ask the question. So, <laughs> hope you guys are ready Fire away we'll see we'll <laughs> see how this goes okay let's do it all right so i want to roll it back a few years okay so we're, we're going to go back to the beginning of this this relationship i was playing baseball in long island new york it was the middle of the summer and i got a call one day before going to the field from this guy that ran an outfitter in west texas and I, I was automatically interested because after a quick search, I could see Stanfield Hunting Outfitters had a great reputation for two and a half decades. And then this guy starts selling me on this podcast idea and asked if we had any interest in sponsoring. And naturally, I was hesitant because he didn't have any experience with this sort of thing. You know, he's a pretty smooth talker. And I <laughs> reluctantly agreed to give it a shot and see what happens. And I'm sure. You all know that guy I'm referring to is Jeff Stanfield. And I'm proud to say, honestly, being a part of the Big Honker podcast, it's been an A-plus move all the way across the board for Dive Bomb Industries um, for the, the complete entirety of the time we started working with you guys. So, Jeff, 
out of all the decoy manufacturers out there, what prompted you to make that phone call to Dive Bomb Industries? Well, the year before, we had a guy work for us that used dive bombs, had some dive bombs, and we used them, and we were like, fuck, that's the decoy to have right there. Can you swear on this? Yeah, are we allowed to cuss on you? Yes, 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 you are. Okay. Yeah, Just we don't cuss sure as much as you, you guys, but but it's we're good. <laughs> we're okay. good. Now, uh, well, go ahead, Jeff. Unless you go to a really dive bomb, uh, I shouldn't use the word dive bomb since we're on dive bomb. If you go to a real low class uh, strip joint, you don't ha- find cussing as much as we do usually. Anyway, so I understand what you're talking about there. Uh, I we used dive bomb the year before, and we liked them. Everybody did. So I was going to buy a bunch, and Andy come up with this podcast idea during that that hunting season that we used them and i was reluctant to even do a podcast because i didn't even know what a podcast was and then we started doing the podcast and after a couple of them and it started growing a little bit i was like we're gonna have to get i told andy i said once we started and i saw it growing i said we got to get some good sponsors well in the waterfowl industry dive bomb was about the best sponsor you could get and y'all y'all were just really coming on y'all's own and um and Y'all were growing like crazy, and I made the call to you, and I got off the phone with you, and I said, I think the boys from Dive Bomb are going to join us, and I was really kind of surprised by that, <laughs> to be honest with you, and then y'all jumped right on board, and we did the Trump, uh, was it Trump Train was our first promo code with y'all, yeah. and I thought, these are my these are my kind of guys right here, and it just grew, and you guys are great guys, and got a good personality, and you got a good story, I mean, you're an interesting guy. And I've dealt with other decoy companies, and them guys ain't so damn interesting. And it just kind of blew up and just went from there. But y'all were the first person I thought of because we used your product and we liked it. And and, and it spoke for itself. It, I mean, and, and it's easy to sell stuff to other to other hunters when you're behind a product. Whenever you use a product uh, every day, and that's for two years now, I'm I'm proud to say that I've only used uh, dive bombs. We got off of the full body train. And, um, it's easy to sell people when you believe in the product that, that you're pumping. So that's, that's the reason that, uh, you know, we kind of wanted to reach out to you guys first. Plus, you know, like Jeff said a couple years ago, you guys were big in this space, but you were still at a, at, you're not at the level that you are now. So we felt like we were kind of getting in, uh, not on the ground floor, but pretty close to the ground floor, uh, with you guys and that we could grow. Uh, alongside of you guys so from our end it's been a good deal we we hope that it's been a good deal for y'all it has it has it's been awesome have you ever been out there um and thought man if we had you know if we were running full bodies that we would have our numbers would be much better today or they would have been much better this season As, as a part of you ever been like man i wish we would never made that i mean obviously you're you're not going to come right out and be like, Oh no. But are there ever situations that you, um, were not like fully committed to running dive bomb socks and silhouettes throughout the course of a waterfowl season in West Texas? Um, not for us. We started, we ran silhouettes forever. Y'all's and silhouettes are just so much better than the ones we ever used before. Well, and, and, and the whole reason that we got off of the silhouette train, it was, it was like a slow transition. So we were running silhouettes. That's all we ran. Um, and then we started mixing in some full bodies and we saw some success. 
Then we started slowly filtering out the silhouettes and going mostly to full bodies. And then by the time, you know, you start making these transitions and moves. And then all of a sudden we're running only full bodies. And there was a winter. So we had gone through a drought down here in Texas and then up in Oklahoma when we started moving up there. Uh, we had to walk everything in. And let me tell you how much fun walking in every full body is. It's about zero. You throw about eight to 10 over your arms or however many you can carry. My personal record is 13. So top that anybody. And you walk and then you set them down and then you go do it again. And I told, I was like, son of a bitch, we've got to figure out a better way. Then uh, we had a guide that worked down here. Um, you guys were the first, first uh, silhouette company that I think had bags. And I was like, motherfucker, this is what we got to get on. So then we transitioned back to the silhouettes. But to answer your question, in the last years that we've been running you, no, I don't think that there's been a time where I thought ah, full bodies would have done it. Because, you know, you got the socks and that kind of creates that that fuller image that you get uh, with full bodies. But really, for the way that we hunt, little geese, specks, uh, big flocks, you got to you gotta go with the numbers. And uh, silhouettes are the way to go if you're going numbers. I think so. At the end of the year, your harvest numbers are on par. Oh, yeah. Absolutely on par with what you were doing in the past. On yeah, par. We're better. Or, we've killed more. Better. We've killed lo- 10 times more geese over silhouettes than we ever have full body decoys. Probably, I would say, 100 times more geese. And e- I don't easily. lose weight having to set them out. Now, now, Ash, I'm also going to tell you this. One of the reasons that we went to a lot of full bodies, too, is because we started buying full body specs and you couldn't find a spec silhouette. Yeah, that is true. Right. And so we bought probably, th- we've got a the grain bin full of full bodied specs that haven't, they haven't been out of a grain bin in three, in two, three years. Silhouettes. I mean, and, and thankfully there's a little bit of education towards silhouettes. And I know guys are saying, you know, silhouettes have been around forever, but from about 2010, 12, up until you guys kind of came on the market and put a shot of adrenaline in its ass, everybody was running full bodies because everybody thought that that's how that they had to kill geese. But when you look at how a goose sees, it does not see in dimensions. It has uh, monocular vision. And, uh, you know, full bodies are not an absolute necessity. And thankfully, you guys have come on the scene and kind of pumped that motto. So guys are more educated now. Jeff. Yes, sir. Let's talk about what you were doing before you were running an outfitter for a living and how Stanfield Hunting Outfitters got started. Amateur porn, Asher. <laughs> amateur porn. No, I haven't come across any of your videos. <laughs> They've scrubbed them. <laughs> it's too much in one picture frame. They said, "Got to get rid of that." The deep state's <laughs> holding them back. Um, when the kind of how I started Stanfield Hunting is what we're talking about. Me, me, and Tony. Yeah. What What were you doing? What were you doing before Stanfield Hunting? And what when, when did that light bulb say, "You know what, man? We need to run hunts for a living down here." I was on my sixth year of my sophomore year of college <laughs> and I was having a good time. I worked. Where worked was that at? In Wichita Falls at Midwestern. Okay. Went, I went to Harvard for a couple of semesters and bounced around and then um, ended up at Midwestern. So anyways, at Midwestern, I was, I had a job at the uh, Air Force Base there, Shepard Air Force Base. And I worked in their sports department, youth sports and stuff. And I was going to be a coach and um, I was going to school 
and we hunted out here. And I always hunt, me and Tony always hunted out here. My dad, my dad started bringing us out here when I was a little kid. They some playa lakes here. And there's a group of guys in Wichita Falls kind of had a hunt club that was an unofficial hunt club. So we grew up hunting on these playas out here. And so, um, me and Tony had a place we could hunt up here. Just drove up here and leased it from an old, or an old boy told us we could hunt. That was even before leases. And he told me, he calls me one day, probably mid November. And he's like, Hey, I can't let you guys hunt no more. And I thought we did something wrong. He said, I had some guys from Dallas offered me some money for this and times are tough and I really need to take the money. I was like, well, shit. He goes, now I'll let you pay for it. I'd rather lease it to you. And I told him, I said, listen, I don't have that kind of money to pay you for that. I said, I could, the only way I could pay for it is if you let me guide some hunts on it. And he told me, he said, I don't care what you do on it. And that's how Stanfield hunting was born. I ran a ad in the Dallas paper. And, um, I th- really be honest with you. I thought I pissed away $60 or whatever it was to run a pay and run an ad. And a guy, a guy called that night. I got off work, got home. My answer machine, there was a message from a guy and he, he owned a casino in Montana. And he was one guy, one hunter. And I charged $90. So dad went with me. I drove from Wichita Falls up here, which is back then speed limit was 55 miles an hour. So it took about two hours to get here. Got here in the morning, set up. We had a good hunt, and it was me and that guy and dad. And the guy gave me $120 cash that morning. And um, I thought, shit, that's a lot of beer money. You know, <laughs> it cost $5 to drive up here. Gas was 90 cents a gallon or some shit. So I got back home that next night, that, ne- that afternoon, put all my shit up. And got another, I had a phone call and a guy wanted to book three people for two days later. So I went and took him on a hunt. Well, then I told Tony, I said, listen, if you'll do half of this with me and Tony worked, Tony had a really good job. Tony played college ball and was working and had worked for an oil company. And, um, he took a, he, we'd take turns. Tony could take off and I could take off in that first winter. We would work every other weekend. We would work. I mean, every other day we would work and we ended up, so I think that first year, we ended up really getting going in business about mid-December, and I think we ran 150 hunters or something that first year. What were y'all killing on the on your ply lake there? We were killing. What uh, were you, like, what were you advertising them the hunts as? Just a goose hunt. We were shooting. We were. Oh, shooting. y'all were y'all were y'all were goose hunting. Okay, yeah. so y'all were y'all. We were weren't shooting. we weren't field hunting at the time. We were what we had. Okay, we had old playa lake that we hunted, and on a hunt, if I had four guys, which was pretty much the normal hunt then, we would shoot. You know. 12 geese 15 geese maybe and shoot a dozen ducks we were at we averaged over five birds and we had good hunts well tony come up here and scouted one time and he went he went into knock city and um chased some geese off of a big roost that's north of town here into the peanut country and he met a guy and he called he come and see me before cell phones he's like man i got disconnected with the peanut field we're gonna have peanut field the next day so we, we drove that we drove to to Knox City, met the guy, and we arranged to hunt on his property. And we hunted that first day, and we shot a bunch of specks and um, some Canada's. It was in. It was, we didn't start hunting in the Peanut Country till almost the end of season, the last two weeks. And at that time, season ended early, at like uh, January twentieth. Our seasons didn't last, weren't as long as theirs. Now, and the limit was three geese of any kind, three specks or three Canada's or three, well, it wasn't snows. You kill five snows at the time, but you kill three dark geese. And at the end of the year, we were shooting specks and that was how we started hunting. And then the, that we got to know these farmers pretty well. So we leased the place that the lodge is on right now from them. And it came with a thousand acres on the river and we leased it for the season, had old farmhouse on it. And that's become the big honker lodge. And that summer, me and Tony, 
and dad stayed up here a lot and got the lodge ready, painted, redone, cleaned up this place was a freaking junkyard, got everything cleaned up around here, made a so-called lodge out of it. I guess by today's standards, what we have, it was way, very lacking. And, um, that next year we went to hunting show. Well, we had filmed some, some hunts the year before. And man, I, we went to a hunting show and never been to a hunting show before. And I had a TV there and we turned on that old VCR, that tape going. And I had crowds of people watching my videos. And from then on, we've been sold out on hunts. Back to that amateur porn. He knew how to work the camera. That's so. right. You got good angles. <laughs> it's all about the angle wow. whenever you're doing that. How much was the lease for? Do you remember? The very first lease that, yes, that was a thousand dollars. I didn't have a thousand dollars. Shit, I was. That's a lot of beer. I could get into a bar at the time. We had a place in which I was five dollars to get in, and you could drink free till ten o'clock or eleven. Eleven o'clock. What year? What year was that that you Not, put out that ad? Nineteen ninety-two, probably ninety-three, maybe. Wow. I I wish I, I used to have all that shit, and I don't have it anymore. I don't know where it's at, but you know, it's really weird. You don't realize then that things are going to end up working out the way they do. And I wish I'd have kept all that early nostalgia that we had or stuff. But it was around 92, the first year that I guided. We had guided some hunts back before that a little bit off and on because dad trained dogs and he'd have some clients. Me and Tony would take them duck hunting. But the first real guided goose hunt was done around 92. And his last guided goose hunt was 93. Just about. (laughs) And so naturally, growing up in a waterfowl hunting business, Andy, you gravitated toward this lifestyle you know some people that grow up in a certain lifestyle they really don't want anything to do with it when they get older that would be our youngest son tired they're tired of it they've uh they've been around that life have you always been crazy about chasing waterfowl or is that something you got more passionate about as you got older uh no so i pretty much knew that this was uh what i wanted to chase when i was a little kid um so I guess Jeff married my mom in 97 and then in 98, we had a group of guides here from Minnesota. I thought they were the coolest fuckers I'd ever been around. Um, Dave Reese, uh, a guy named Johnny Reichert and I was their shadow and, um, you know, I'd gone on hunts before that, but that was kind of the year that, uh, the passion really got, really got started. And, you know, I've, I've, I was a high school athlete, but, uh, um, didn't play basketball and I would always hunt during the winter and then, um, went off to college and then during on weekends and Christmas break, uh, I was always hunting. So I kind of always knew that this was, was, I didn't have any, any better options. I didn't, you know, there was nothing that I loved more than to do this. I went to school, I went to Texas tech, got a degree in uh, education. I was also going to become a coach and, um, I mean, I, I didn't, I, my passion wasn't there. So, um, came back out here after graduating tech and, uh, you know, kind of seven days a week, this has been my life since then. But I, I mean, I've all, I've never really gotten burned out. Yeah. What about Zach? Was he the same way? No, no. Zach's wishy-washy. Zach, Zach is so fun to hunt with until about the third bat hunt in a row. And then you're just, you're, you're ready to kill him. Blake is the only person that can kind of ride the Zach roller coaster. They, they, they teamed up, uh, whenever Blake Poppy got down here and Blake's a funny son of a bitch. And he's the only one that has been able to crack the code of how to, uh, keep Zach on a semi even kill throughout the waterfowl season. 
Zach is wishy-washy. He's a great hunter. And when things are right, he is a lot of fun to hunt with. But, uh, you know, there go through, you, when you hunt seven days a week, you're going to hit a dry spell, just like playing baseball or anything else that you do. You do it, law averages, it's going to even out. And Okay. Uh, rapid fire, rapid fire question time between you and Zach. Who's the better caller? Me. Uh, Who's depends. better with goose, goose, call, goose call me, duck call Zach. Who's better with clients? Me. Who's a better waterfowl guide overall? Me. <laughs> okay. Not even Off close. <laughs> I, it, you know, it's just, it's not even close. I give Zach hey. credit where it's due. He's a, he's a very good duck caller. I'm better on a goose call. And, uh, you know, the, the tips would show. Zach is good with a certain clientele. Yes, Zach does great with the young. And that, now, Zach quit now. Zach's really matured a lot when you know, yeah. it's paramedic school and on to whatever he's going to do next. He's changed a lot in, in that stats, but Zach used to be great with the frat daddy crowd, the young rich kids that come up here or just the young oil field guys that are hard workers that make good money and spend money. Zach would be gold with them. But if Zach got some older guys that required a little bit of uh, fine tuning, and that's where your good tips usually are anyways, he doesn't do as good with them as Andy did. Zach is a better duck caller than Andy by far. Zach is probably the best duck caller I know. Would you say that's pretty close, Andy? Mm, Talent-wise? I, I know a lot of good duck callers, but Zach can hold his own with a duck call. With anybody. I mean, he really, really can. But Zach could blow a duck call since he was six. And shit, he learned how to call from Ron Winnick. He was one of the first people that taught him who was a world champion because he worked for us a couple of years. But Zachary, uh, Zach loved hunting when he was little. Um, and Zach, when he was six years old, Zach stayed at the lodge during every day that he didn't have school. I mean, every day he would stay at Christmas break up here for 10, 12 days in a row. Cause I remember Michelle used to say, Zach, at least let me take your underwear and stuff home. We'll get you some laundry. <laughs> but he hung out with Tony all the time. If Tony went anywhere, Zach went everywhere. I mean, everywhere, every guided hunt. My dad and Tony had a sleeping bag for Zach to end the spread. And Zach, Zach was a killer from day one where Andy hung out with the guides. Zach hung out more with dad and Tony. But um, Zach was running the lodge when he was eight years old. I mean, he processed or everything. But as, as he got older, he become more interested in partying. And I mean, Zach would give up a day's. I'll, I'll never forget this. We had a big group here one time. And Andy and Dane and Zach were going to take them out. Well, Zach, I, Zach, I had a rule. If you're going to guide, you're going to, if you're not doing something at school wise, you're going to come here. Well, Zach decided he'd rather go out and party than come out here and meet his clients and have dinner. So he passed on it and it ended up being about a $1,500 tip for each one of them. And Zach was 16 years old. And I was like, oh, that's buddy, that's money you ain't going to have. It's just tough <laughs> shit, you know, but he didn't care because he was partying at the time. And he was more interested in chasing girls and partying than he was hunting. At the end, Zach, Zach's just that way. Like it, I, I say that the last year, Zach's really grown up. He's got a new baby now. Um, he's going to school to be a paramedic, but he was always just live for the moment, live for the moment, live for the moment where I was a little bit more plan ahead. Try to at least. Now, Jeff, we've seen a, a everywhere, really a, a huge influx of new God services and outfitters. And, you know, it's no secret that Texas is home to a lot of them. There's a lot of really, really good ones. Um, in one way or another, would you say almost all of these are somehow related to Stanfield Hunting Outfitters with you guys being on the very front end of running waterfowl hunts? 
Related am I ha- supposed related to ask how? that like humbly, or do you want me to answer that in a straight blunt? Right. I want here? you to straight straight up answer that as uh, bluntly as possible. Well, hold on. Related how? They related been- as in when maybe people came to the area, the gods. Like you can say it humbly. I mean, that's it's just like decoys. We weren't the first ones to make silhouette decoys, so it's it's not a big deal. But there's a lot of awesome outfitters in Texas, people that are we're friends with, people that w- we hunt with, but. But I'm saying this because I don't know anybody that has been in business as long as you guys. You know, I would say like for the silhouette game, I guess Outlaw was, was you know, the oldest. What I'm asking, is there anybody that was doing it before you guys? And if not, would you say a lot of the guys and people that are out there now, do you all have some sort of connection with them through uh, you know, whatever it may be, whether they're guides that work for them or your friendships or um, well, every, I'm trying to think how to say this. When I first started, when me and Tony started Stanfield hunting, there was, if you went to Allsup's in Knox city, Texas, which is a local little convenience store. And you were there at four 30 in the morning, there'd be seven rigs of decoys there. And nobody was a guy. They were all guys doing it themselves. So we were the first guys out here to pay anybody to hunt really. And so we started paying the farmers to hunt. And we kind of pushed everybody out. All the do-it-yourselfer guys, boy, and they, you talk about going to a Ducks Unlimited deal and getting a bunch of bullshit looks and stuff. <laughs> I'm glad we were a lot younger and bigger at that time in our lives because we probably got our ass whooped a bunch. But we, we, we kind of locked up everything out here just about. And we, we weren't the first person to guide out here, waterfowl hunts, but we were the only one, the first one that lasted out here. And when we first started, there was nobody guiding in Lubbock. The guys from Lubbock that started out there couldn't, didn't have enough property to hunt here. So they started going to Lubbock. It was one of the guys, one of the first people to go to Lubbock was a guy that was lived in Knox city, grew up in Knox city. And he started hunting in Lubbock because we had everything locked up out here. Most of it. Um, so the guys, there weren't no guys in panhandle. There's a couple of old guys up in the panhandle that hunted and guided in the eighties up there. And they went out of business, um, in Oklahoma, there wasn't anybody running really very many hunts. I mean, it's going to be your podcast can be just like our podcast. Somebody's going to be a fact checker and explain to me in 1964, Booger McFarland or somewhere had a, a guide service somewhere. But yeah, uh, the, at one time, just about every big player in Texas was a spinoff of either someone that guided for me or someone that worked for me and they got in business with somebody else. And then them guys started their own thing. But I mean, at one time, just about every outfitter in Texas was somehow a spinoff of someone that worked for us or someone that worked for us got involved with somebody else who started their own thing to try to, I'm not trying to sound cocky. I mean, but that's just, that's the fact. Yeah, I mean, well, and then those, yeah, and then those spinoffs spun off and, and they've kind of, cause I can, I can think of several, uh, other outfitters that are in business now that, you know, you trace it back far enough and where they spun off of came from out here. We made it look really easy, and I know that sounds really cocky, but that's the truth. We got a system we use, and, and every system has got something that can be fixed to make it better. I'm not saying it's a perfect system because it's not, but we have a way of doing it. And I've had guys come in here, and they're like, fuck, we could do that shit here. We could lease a wheat field over here. You don't understand how it works. And and I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to bet you 75% of the young guys that are in business right now won't be in business in five years. Because right now, I mean – you look at you look at how you reach people today. It's all through social media. Okay. 
What you're not doing through social media from the get-go, initially, you're not creating a, a relationship. And I think that's where a lot of younger guys are going to have a tough time because this goes back to the law of averages. It doesn't matter how much you're beating them, beating the birds up right now. You're going to go through a bad year. It's just going to happen. What are the relationships going to be like with your clients when you go through a bad year? We did that. We did that in 2011 when the drought came. And it was tough. But Jeff, being the smooth talker that we talked about earlier, he's created relationships with with the clientele. And even through those bad years, we still had a high rebooking rate. I mean, you know, you go through our worst years. We were still rebooking 60 or 70 percent of the clients from the year before. And now that's just gone up because the hunting, we've got water again out here and the hunting's gotten better. Right. But guys, you know, they're 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 out there on social media and then, you know, everything looks good through social media. And it, it it's tough for a lot of younger guys to to make that connection. And another thing, you know, I think a lot of guys are kind of fly by night. They'll try this outfitter one year and then this outfitter the next year. And uh if you don't if you don't make a good connection with those guys, you're not they're not in it for the long haul. So that's that's kind of been the longevity uh, factor out here is just he 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 does a real good job of connecting with clients and you know we don't have the best lodge to stay at but it is a nice lodge and uh, guys feel like family when they're out here. Yeah, definitely. I would say now let's uh yeah let's I mean we 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 love it when we come out there. Um, I think the setup is awesome. I think it's really cool. Can't wait to get back out there. Let's um I want to I want to shift slightly over to the to the big honker podcast. And, you know, you, you guys have said, you're like, Hey, we, we never wanted to keep this as a, a full on hunting podcast that, that would get boring very quickly. We, we went through six months, we ran out of stuff to talk about. Um, and some people are like, Oh, this is a hunting podcast. You know, there's a few people, there's, there's always people that are going to dislike stuff. Um, but when did it turn kind of from that, hunting podcast setup strategy species whatever to kind of an all things on the table free for all style format we kind of had the free for all format from the beginning so obviously i mean we still talk a lot of waterfowl hunting i mean that's always going to be our base but even i think back to the first time we had you on we talked more about asher than we did anything I mean, there, there was a, there was a dive bomb undertone. There was a hunting undertone, but sure. we just talked, we just talked, we just had a conversation. And, um, you know, when, when I first came up with this idea, I've always been a big Howard Stern fan, Joe Rogan fan. And I was kind of thinking like, how can we do something like they do, but gear it towards waterfowl hunting. And I went to, this is how naive I was. I went to the Apple podcast and I typed in waterfowl and there was two podcasts at the time. One of them had not had a, had an episode in like six months. And then the other one was just kind of hit or miss. So I'm like, fuck it. It's wide open. And, um, you know, Jeff's really good with talking, you know, just kind of bullshitting. And I think I kind of know, uh, my shit when it comes to waterfowl hunting. So I knew we could kind of hit it from both angles. And I just wanted to have a conversation with people. So from the, really from the beginning, I wanted to do a show that was get somebody from, get a big name 
from waterfowl, have a conversation with them like people have never heard before. Everybody's heard the, you know, the standard interview with Asher Tolliver about, you know, why dive bomb works or, you know, pick anybody else. Everybody's heard that interview. Everybody's heard it 10 times. We know where you stand on waterfowl. We, you know, we know how you got started. We know all this. Let's just have a normal conversation. Like I'm sitting in a blind with you or you're sitting across the table from me and let's just talk. No, no agenda, no nothing. So from the beginning, that was kind of where I wanted to take it. Now, obviously, um, you know, when you're just starting out, getting a big guest in the waterfowl industry is pretty tough. Nobody knows about you. Um, so we started, you know, we just kind of started talking about us a little bit and then we would do, you know, tips and tactics on how to kill geese, but it was about episode 68 and we, we did three a week. And that's another thing that kind of separates us from a lot of other podcasts is, uh, three times a week. That's, that's a lot of fucking airtime you got to fill. And we had done the tips and the tactics and we got to about episode 68. And I, I told Jeff, I said, I don't, I can't tell these people how else to kill a duck or a goose. We've gone over decoys. We've gone over flagging. We've gone over calling. I got no other tips to throw at them. If they, if they can't figure it out on 68 episodes of how to kill something, they're not going to get it. And then that was kind of when we just started. Well, what about this person from, you know, another area? I think Clay Reed was one of our first, uh, not a waterfowl podcast that we did that had nothing to do with anything but just humorous stories. And it was really popular too. And I think that helped us a lot is kind of moving forward with that. Kind of give you the confidence to be like, okay, this is, we can kind of go out a little bit and still get a really good response. And well, and you look at what's your conversation in a duck blind. Like, is it all about waterfowl hunting or do you talk about usually usually 95% not about waterfowl hunting? And and that's kind of what our, we get more, we get, we get a ton of messages now, a ton, because this thing is just growing like crazy. And, a lot, I, we get a lot of messages from people that aren't waterfowl hunters now that, yeah, Bill, that he's a duck hunter that works for me in my office. He got me to listen to this podcast in his car going to lunch one day. And he said, shit, I'll just all of them. And I'm not even a waterfowl hunter. And we get a lot of that just because it's real conversation. And guys tell me all the time, it's like being at a hunting camp. You know, y'all talk about shit that a lot of people are afraid to talk about today. We don't, we'll talk about it. And we, we make some people mad and we get some bad messages every day too, but it grows like crazy and it keeps growing because people in America are Americans. They want to hear stories. People wanted us to talk about Asher Tolliver playing pro baseball. Not everybody plays pro baseball. Not everybody rides on a minor league bus. Not everybody has hot milfs wanting to throw their bodies at them all the time. I mean, it's an interesting <laughs> story. And so that's the kind of shit that they want to hear about, you know? Fat Bob that's sitting over there driving his truck right now that's laughing, listening to this. He don't ha- live that lifestyle. He wants to hear about it. And everybody's got a story to tell. Just some are a lot more interesting than others. And that's kind of where we've kind of went with this. And like next week, we have we have a waterfowl podcast. We've got Wyman Menzer on with us, who's a very a historian, one of the, probably one of the most interesting men in Texas. And then we've got a lady that's an RN that's on the front line of the COVID deal has got a book coming out and she's been on Fox and friends and that's, you know, and all three of them will have close to the same viewership. You can't tell me that the people that are waterfowl people aren't listening to them. Other ones also. Oh yeah, no doubt. Well, let's uh, tell you when we switched, it was tough because, yeah. um, you know, big honker podcast. Luckily when, when I, when we made this, um, 
you know, we never really said that this was just going to be a waterfowl only podcast. So the initial kind of shifting a little bit and we did it a little bit at a time. We didn't just all of a sudden not, not just talk about waterfowl hunting, but I can remember getting a lot of messages like we don't give a shit. Uh, you know, don't talk about football. Don't talk about politics. We're here for the waterfowl hunting. And, you know, but I was also getting a lot of messages of, Hey, we love the last episode that you did. I'm a big fantasy football. We talk about fantasy football. I'm a big fantasy football player. Love what you did there. And they kind of outweighed the negative. So we just went full force and uh, let's talk about everything. Well, you guys definitely are not, um, you know, not afraid of controversy or afraid to speak on controversial topics. So bring up fantasy football. Let's uh, let's get into one real fast. Y'all are both big fans of the NFL both very outspoken on the current events of the world. Are you going to be watching this season? Uh, right now, no for me. I'm going to play fantasy football, but I'm not going to watch football this year, I don't think. I would probably agree with Jeff. And it depends on how how far they take some of these issues uh, right now. I don't know. I might come in in the second quarter or something and just out of sight, out of mind. But it's everything. You can't even watch you know, NASCAR, one of the most redneck sports out there. Well, they have fucked that up. You know, they're going PC. Baseball is going PC. So, um, which I don't watch either. But it's just shit. I don't know. I don't have that many guilty pleasures in this life. So, here's my answer on football. If they do the Black Lives Matter song that they want to do, that was written about Abraham Lincoln, Black National Anthem, or Black National Anthem, and um, they do it first, I don't have a problem with that at all. We got a give and take in this world. I have no problem with that at all. And I, I know a lot of people that do. I've been criticized a bunch for saying that on our podcast but if them players will all stand for the national anthem and they do their thing first i don't have a problem at all and i'll watch the nfl but if one player kneels i'm not watching the football i'm not watching it my grandparents fought both of them were at pearl harbor um i've had many friends that have passed away that have lost their children um i've lost a couple of friends of mine over fighting overseas my son is in the military right now and if you're going to stay set for that flag then by god then i'm not going to watch you and if that flag represents racism and all this other bullshit, they wouldn't have put it on John Lewis's casket last week when Obama gave the speech and or the eulogy at his funeral. So you got to have it both ways. What's your answer? What's your answer for those? And this is just me playing devil's ad- advocate. What's your answer for those that say, well, if the flag, you know, it it represents, you know, honor and duty of our military and the folks that gave the ultimate sacrifice for that flag and maybe it stands for that for for you but maybe for me it stands for these social justice issues and i have the right to to express my views by kneeling what's your answer you do have uh, that right people you do have that right and i also have the right to turn that damn tv off um freedom of speech is not free and if that's a stand as a business the nfl as a business if that's what they want to stand that's no different than um a grocery store or anyone else letting their employees do something to disrespect the flag. If that's what you want to do on your business model, you go right ahead. I think the NFL screwing up because the demographics show that 60 to 80% of all their money is made from the conservative male from the ages of 35 to 65 years old. It's not the under 35 crowd that pays the bills and buys those high dollar season tickets and stuff. And if you want to piss off those people in between, that's their right, but I'm not going to be a part of it. I don't you. I don't think disrespecting the flag or burning a Bible is anything good for our country. Anything. Our country was built on Christianity and it was built on patriotism 
and people stood up against England and everything our country was bad, good, bad, slavery, everything. Everything in this country was built. Our country was built how it was. You can't change history. You can't do anything about it. It's still the greatest place in the world or people wouldn't be trying to fight to get to America. So I think you should stand and respect that flag. If I went to there's Mex- a lot of other ways. I'm sorry. There's there's just so many other ways as a professional athlete that you can uh, be open with your stance. You know, especially with the platform that they have, you can be open with your with your stance on maybe some of these issues and not disrespecting the flag. There you go. I don't I don't have a problem at all. I don't care for Black Lives Matter because I think it's a racist. I, th- I think it's a strong arm of the Democratic Party. I don't think it's nothing to do with help black people. And the reason why I haven't seen one school, I hadn't seen one hospital, I haven't seen one community center built with Black Lives Matter money to give to the deal. They don't do anything for anybody but a select few people. So I, I'm against all that, but I'm f- I'm for equal equal rights for everybody. I'm for ending any kind of social injustices we have, but if we don't have social injustices like they make it sound like. This is the greatest country in the world. You could have every opportunity. You you played baseball. How many poor people did you play baseball with that become millionaires? <laughs> More than you can possibly imagine. Yes, I mean, but. That, that's because they lived in America. Why did they leave the Dominican Republic and come to the United States to play baseball? It's a better life. You have the opportunity to create a ba- better life and make a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, so why don't they go back to d- the Dominican and start kneeling there and griping? Because they don't have them opportunities. So, or they'll get shot. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm go to Cuba and do this. Yeah. So I'm, I, I, if you, if you can't stand for our flag and for everything that it's done for everybody in this world and, I think the biggest problem is young people today have no clue about history. They don't know about all the sacrifices made in the early wars and the, you know, and, and we had a million white men died to free the slaves in the, in the civil war. We don't talk about, they don't ever talk about that. So anyways, that's my biggest rant. I, I, so the NFL, if they kneel, I'm out. If they stand for the flag, then I'm in. That means Jeff's out because they will 100% kneel. Uh, my problem is I, I don't know where, what's going to have to happen for this, for everybody to stand up. Okay, what's the end goal that will make everybody put their hand over their heart, helmet in their hand, or hat in their hand, like we see it, because everybody's kneeling for baseball, too. What's it going to take? I mean, is it defunding the police? Is that what is that where the goalpost is? Um, It's just, it's an open-ended, well, we're kneeling because of this, but there's no, like, end goal. If this happens, we'll stand. That's my biggest problem uh, with the whole thing is, and now, like, guys are getting strong-armed into kneeling. I mean, half the guys, you know a lot of guys in baseball still. Do you think half oh, the yeah. guys that knelt, do you think that they re- really give two shits, or do they just know that if they don't kneel, it's going to well, look bad on them? They don't kneel. They're going to be ridiculed publicly by the media, possibly teammates, fans, you know, jersey sales, uh, deal, brand deals, you know, shoe deals, glove deals. They know they'll get stripped of those, so you're, you're strong-armed into conforming. Um, because you might lose a check for, you know, $200,000 from Under Armour yeah. or Nike or, you know, whoever it may be, your glove deal, Wilson or Rawlings, or, you know, you just don't know those people's stance. So, you, you know, new era, you got to deal with, you know, somebody and they, they strip you of a huge money deal that hurts your family. So you say, well, I'll just, I'll just comply. Yep. And that's know. a that's a bad deal. What honestly, what what would you do if you were still pitching in the bigs? 
You know, I never got to the point where I was, you know, getting big endorsement deals. Or I, you know, I had glove deals, I had shoe deals and stuff like that, but it wasn't like big, you know, it wasn't money that was changing, you know, life changing money or anything like that. So for me, the answer would, would be easy to say I would absolutely be standing. But, right. um, you know, some of these guys that might have a half a million or million dollar certain deal and Nike, you know, sends out a email or a call or a rep calls and says, hey, you kneel for that flag. Your deal with us is gone. Under Armour says the same thing to other people. Reebok says the same thing to other people. So then you say, okay, who who could I work with that's okay with this? Maybe, maybe there's nobody. You know, so, um, you know, it's a tough situation. I know guys personally that are that are uh, doing things that they don't want to be doing right now, but they, you know, they're in very liberal cities and they can't really speak about it. They can't speak their mind. They've got huge social media followings um, and they just don't want to be the center of attention for a team. Uh, being ridiculed by their fan base or the media. And, you know, in some situations, you almost have to – it's sad, but you almost have to say, man, I almost kind of agree with them because some people, they just don't really want the spotlight on them, and they definitely don't want the spotlight on them whenever it's a huge negative light and people's going to hate them and send death threats to their families, and they've got newborn babies, and their people are um, sending messages saying they're going to do harm to them. So – Sometimes, you know, you just throw your hands up and you're like, you know what? Like, whatever. What about, hold on. Um, do, is, NM, is MLB policy that you have to go out for the national anthem or could you just stay in the dressing room a little bit longer while that's being played? Um, typically, it's it, it's a team thing. Like, I don't know what it is now because it's so, everything's so weird. But like with Houston, like relievers, like you had a certain time that that you you know you had to be out there on the line for the national anthem. Nobody, you couldn't you couldn't stay in the locker. Minor league baseball, like if you you know wanted to, if you're a relief pitcher, you maybe you could get away with it. But if Skip or somebody found out that you weren't out there, it was it wasn't going to be good. It was either going to end in a fine or you know, right? Maybe a suspension if you if you did it multiple times. So uh, no, in the big leagues, it was very structured. The veterans, like, hey, let's go. You know, time to go anthem in ten. Make sure you're on the line, but dude, now like honestly, I can't say um, if you have a choice or what the rules are because everything's so wacky now. My my biggest my deal on this is you, you Chick Fil A should have taught us as a country that you don't have to conform to what the media thinks and you'll be a success. Um, it's easy in our business because ninety nine percent of the people have the same like minded that we have when it comes to politics and everything. You know, I don't consider I consider this politics as flag deal as much as anything. But if it, I, I think if a shoe company come out and said, "Hey, if you don't stand, you're not going to get our support," and it become a big media deal, I think that shoe company would sell out of shoes in a day. Um, you mean if you don't kneel? If you don't kneel, if they if they yeah if they come out and they said, "Hey, you know, let, let's let's say uh, Champion Shoes. I don't even know if they're still in business, but a company that's lower on the level like that come out and said, "Hey," and they almost signed Michael Jordan. That's almost that's an interesting story, anyways, on its own. But anyways, they come out and they said, "You know what we're going to do? If you stand and you wear our shirt, our shoes, and there's two guys in the major leagues that were in Champion Shoes, let's say, and they say if you kneel, you're 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 done. You got to stand, and that become a big media deal. They would sell out of shoes the next day." Because people would support that because half the country 
if the country split 50-50, still half the country is support standing for the flag. And I think it's actually probably 70%. I think it's over half that, you yeah. know, the silent majority is very, very alive and real. Yes. I mean. So let's say 70%, which is probably pretty true. So you know what? Go for the 70% of the people, you know? And I, th- I think you're going to see the... Uh, but that's the problem is the 70%, they're quiet, and we just, they'll sit back and be like, you know what? Like, I'll just do my talking at the booths and... Um, you know, the, the 30%, you know, it's the ones that, that, that holler the loudest that get the most attention. And that's what happens is people are intimidated by, you know, the 30% and their threats and, um, you know, because they're the ones that make the most noise, you know, it's kind of like you're talking about with the podcast. You might have 20 people that love it. They love the direction you're going, but you got the one guy that's right. so out there and vocal and his one voice, it's, it's like, yeah it seems like a hundred people when it's really just one person being really, really loud about it. And that's kind of how we are today with all of these issues. I know that their ratings are supposed to be tanking. I saw where NASCAR had the worst ratings they've had since 1983 or something. And that says something because there ain't shit on television. I mean, there's, there's nothing. And, and if, if you can't make a big splash right now with no competition and your ratings are still in the shitter, that ought to tell you something because there's not a whole lot that you're competing against right now. All right. Well, with all that, who, uh, Andy, who's your pick to win the Super Bowl this year? Uh, it's going to be hard to say that the Chiefs don't repeat if everybody stays healthy. And I, who knows what's going to happen with Corona? I don't, I don't think we'll have a Super Bowl this year until we decide the hydrochloroquine works good. Hydrochloroquine. Whatever it is. When, when, when we get to that point, if we come up with something, a solution to the Corona, then we'll have a Super Bowl. It may be in April or May even. Um, and let's say we get into regular football and everybody's playing, and that's going to be a deal up to two. I um, I'm going to take a dark horse team to win the Super Bowl this year, and and you're going to both laugh. The Buffalo Bills. You are high. I knew he was going to say that. And that's fine. They got a great defense, and they've got a good young offense coming up. I'm going to take the Buffalo Bills and upset. If I was going to go with the trendy pick, I would take the Chiefs also. Right. Well, I'm trendy. I mean, God, look at the deal. My gosh. Now a part owner of the Kansas City Royals. I'm telling you, the guy's a stud. Passed and, up baseball to do it, and I'm and I'm a chief guy. <laughs> I, I, I pull for the Chiefs, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go a little off the cutting edge, and I think it's gonna be a weird. It's 2020, so I'm taking the Buffalo Bills to upset everybody, and I know I'm gonna catch so much shit for this, but that's okay. You know, Alex hey, Rodriguez. 2020. Told- I mean, geez, you're you're uh, the way this year's going, man. I, I don't know that anybody's gonna make fun of you. Um, what were you, you saying know, about Alex Rodriguez? Alex Rodriguez told Patrick Mahomes, do not play football. Be good at math and don't play football. Patrick Mahomes Sr., or the second, I guess. No, Patrick Mahomes was a – his well, daddy was a pitcher for the Rangers. They played I the Rangers together. but Patrick Mahomes is now like the third. Or, anyway, it doesn't matter. Patrick Mahomes playing baseball. He said, hey, Alex, my son wants to meet you. you give him some advice. He said, be good at math and don't play football. He made a lot of coin playing football, Asher Tolliver. I know, I know where you stand Ooh. on this baseball and uh, football debate. Yeah, but when you when you sign that kind of deal, goodness gracious, that's more than a Rod ever made, and he made a ton. Oh my <laughs> word! All right, Jeff, Big Honker Podcast Hot Seat, best guess you've ever had on the Big Honker Podcast that people like or my favorite. Which one? Both, I suppose. Uh, Your favorite, best guess you've ever had. I like Wyman. Your favorite, personal, personal. I like Wyman because I like history. All right. Uh, Uh, Most entertaining episode you guys have ever done? Charles Beatty's the best story we've ever had. The Prince of Poachers. Worst guest you've ever had on the Big Honker podcast? (laughs) Cammy Cakes. (laughs) 
Hands All down. right, Andy. Same three questions. Best guess you've ever had. Uh, your personal opinion. You know, I really like the guide roundtables that we do. So we, about once a week, twice a week, we get all the guides in here. This is during hunting season. We get all the guides in here. I really, really enjoy those. They're a lot of fun. Um, as far as one guest, uh, our Clay Reed's always fun. Uh, what was the other ones? My favorite. My favorite. Most, uh, most entertaining uh, episode Sheesh. that you've ever done. Clay, probably Clay Reed. And Clay then Reed I would have best. I would have to agree it would be uh, Cami Cakes. <laughs> she is no longer uh, piece of cake charters is out of business. I oh, she's not guiding trips. No she's more? like in Florida now or something. The, the best part of the whole deal was when she told us that <laughs> I just don't understand why the mother captains don't like me. Why uh, they don't take me seriously. Yeah. Well, they don't take me serious. Well, it's probably serious? she got them 38 double D's set them in the face on a four foot frame. <laughs> and you know, all right, Jeff, going to put a little <laughs> bit more pressure on you. Best God you've ever had. Not named Zach or Andy. Dave Reese. Worst God you've ever had. Smokey Rathburn. <laughs> Dave Reese. Is he related to now Dan and no. No, 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 brother? No, no, no. They always no. commenting on the stuff on um, no Facebook. The pro- I see them a lot. Are they are they in any relation there? No. Dave Reese, his brother has got a brother named Steve, and they live in Rochester, Minnesota. Fergus Falls is where Dave lives. And now. Dave lives in Fergus Falls now, but yeah. they've uh GNR guide service, I think was theirs and uh and, and they were the big guide service. And Dave came to work for us. Mike Ducart, who used to have illusion goose calls, he's got illusion game, does deer stuff now. Sent Dave to me in 1996 or 97. Dave worked for us about six, seven years. Best goose, the best goose hunter I've ever been around in my entire life. And I've been around a lot of good guys that could kill lots of geese. And then Smokey Rathburn is the guy who worked for me that went and they started Webfoot together. And um, oh, he was horrible. About three years of that, and it uh, it fell fell apart at the seams for the Smoky Rathburn Webfoot connection, uh, boys. All right, let's talk about uh, let's let's move forward to a little season outlook and what we're thinking. So first, let's just start off with doves opening up in September. How are we looking there as of uh, three weeks out, three and a half weeks out? You you can't tell with dove season because it just takes one cold front. I've seen it. Dove I've seen it be a hundred degrees and have just a five mile an hour north wind and push every dove out. Well, I think last year you were telling me you're like, man, we ain't got no doves. Like it, it's gonna be bad. And I think I texted you on the opener and like, man, it's pretty yeah. good. We did good. We did a lot. We did. We literally had no doves. Yeah, uh, you know, because we talked about it quite a bit leading up last year. And you're like, yeah, we had a, pretty good. We had a great opener, but we had a tough dove, dove season last year. Was hard, um, and it was for everybody. Um, that we 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 don't have as many wild sunflowers as we normally do because we didn't have any rain from May fifteenth to June fifteenth. Hardly, we've got dove, we got a lot of dove here right in front of the lodge. We got a lot of dove right now, but dove hunting. You could we could be covered with birds right now, and I'm, I would tell you that we could get a front. North wind plays such havoc on dove until you start getting your. Every time the wind wind blows out of the north, you get more birds. But I don't I don't know. I'm not going to make a a prediction on dove hunting because it changes so much. If everything stays like it is now, right now we we would be, we would be in good shape right now. Okay. Yes. Okay. Early till. Um, do we'll you guys be great. Do any of that? Yeah, we're we're booked up for early till season. We'll be great for till season. We got lots of, we got water and that's all we need is water. So okay. we should be good for do- teal season. Moving forward to regular season. We've, duck, uh, duck season we've got Canada good. being closed. So what's your prediction? Are we going to see a noticeable impact? We have to. I mean, you have all those birds that are being, I mean, 
I don't. How many birds do you think are going to be spared from uh, non-residents? Half a million coming up to America, freelancing, guiding. Half a million. Half a million birds. I say one million on the dot. See, I'm thinking somewhere in the six, seven hundred thousand range. So we're we've got it covered. What about Um, uh, what about this though? Wouldn't you be interested to see what the mortality rate is on mallards compared to last year to this year? Are we still going to be at fifteen percent death with no hunting in Canada? So they say the same number of mallards die, die whether regardless. critters get them, disease gets them, whatever, regardless right. how many birds we have hunting. So that's going to be an interesting deal. But I think that you're going to see a big number of birds. Um, some places will have a lot more birds. Um, the calendar birds, we're going to have, we'll have, everybody's going to have more birds with no Canada hunting. I mean, it's just, it's just going to be that way. So do you think, uh, I've asked somebody a couple of weeks ago, do you think some of the guys and, you know, particularly Arkansas is a hot topic, Louisiana, do you think some people could experience the good old days this year? Not unless we have winter. I think they'll get, if we don't have winter, they're going to get hung up in North Dakota, North Dakota, <laughs> North Dakota, Nebraska. I mean, they're going to get pushed, but depending on mother nature. Do you think some of these guys in the upper Midwest, upper central flyway, they could be in for a banner banner they, year? They could be. Now, if we have a winter with some snow and cover those food, those food sources up, then could be in for a it could be the guys, you know, like you said, Arkansas, Louisiana, stuff like that. Nineteen, The winter of 1980 and 83 is going to happen again. And it could be in 2020. It could be 2060. I have no idea. But when it happens again, everybody north of middle of Oklahoma up was going to lose all their birds mid Thanksgiving area. It's happened and it'll happen again. We just hadn't have it happen in so long that there's so many more outfitters up in that area. But in those years you didn't have it that you know back you don't have to go back in the in the old duck hunting books very long very far to see in the fifties and sixties. Those guys were froze up and didn't have any birds by mid by December first a lot of years. What direction have your harvest numbers been trending in the last fifteen years? Um, neutral staying the same, they slightly going up, slightly going down. Is it just kind of hit and miss here and there, or uh, are you seeing a pattern? When in the, in the late nineties, I know we're going back from that. Let's go back thirty years or twenty years. Okay, from from the year two thousand around year two thousand, we were just stacking them up. We had one year that we shot a limit of birds by eight o'clock in the morning with every group we had up until Christmas break. I mean, done at eight o'clock. I mean, finished complete wow. limits, and um. Then we had the struggles of the drought, and then the last couple of years have been pretty good. Last year wasn't as good as the year before and the year before that, but last year was kind of slow because we didn't have any winter. Um, I, I, we had a lot of birds last year. We just didn't have any winter and no weather, and that makes a big difference. But the bird population, I think, is 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 up. I think the biologists screwed up big time on the pintail count, and I think our, our speckle belly count is way off too i think there's a lot more specks and pintails than we're, than we're getting credit for and we're getting screwed out uh, two weeks of the season out here because we're not starting until november 14th out where we are well that that decision was all tailored for the guys up in the panhandle because yeah, our biologists fucked that all up i mean w- we need to see like a, a we've already got zones in texas there needs to be a, another split in my opinion because november 15th we get birds here october 15th we're, and we're gonna be running birds off peanuts for 30 days and you know it goes to Valentine's Day now. That's we're done. Our bird, especially like last year when it was so warm, our birds are, our birds are out of here first part of February. So we got first of all, we, we got hosed on that deal. Watch this, Asher. Andy, do you want a guy to hunt February eighth? Uh, I will if I have to. But I, <laughs> I, I mean, if I'm not start if I'm not starting until November fourteenth, then I don't have a problem with it. But had I been starting November first and then going to the February eighth, probably not. But I mean. 
if that's what we got to do to keep the lights on, then that, then let's do it. Asher, my guide used right. to start out in September and guide in Canada, and then they would come work for us. And I'm going to tell you, in Jan- by January 15th, they weren't worth shooting the guys that have been in Canada hunting. I can't imagine. That's rough, man. COVID, did it help your books? Did it hurt your books? Or did they stay the same? I lost a lot of cl- corporate clients at first when it first happened, but I've gotten a lot of those back. I've had, I don't know, I had three or four big corporation emails last week that um, wanted to know if their dates were still available and if I still had some other dates open. We've picked up a lot of customers. I picked up a lot of Canada customers. And I've had, I get a call every day from a group that was going to go to Canada that still, there's a lot of guys out there, poor guys, that they're still living the dream that this is going to just magically, their Canadian government is just going to magically just open those gates up when waterfowl season starts. And those people don't realize that they've shut fishing off up there. They don't give two shits about hunting. Mm-mm. When's like, it going to open? When do you think the border is going to open? Uh, June 2021, or you don't want to know my prediction of what I think is going to happen up there. <laughs> I don't think they're. They, I don't think the American hunter is going to be welcomed in Canada again, unless you go through a Canadian outfitter and you get guns that Canadians own and you buy your ammo there. I think they're going to do a, a Mexico type deal. No guns crossing the border and all that. That's that's what I predict is going to end up happening when this is all said and done. What do you think, Andy? Uh, June 2021, and I got that from a reputable reputable source we got the same source on that one yeah it's the same kind of yeah it's kind of what i'm hearing i I, I can't imagine it's the same source but that's uh, probably is that's that's pretty close to what i'm hearing the guy that we talked to he's talked to two that are in the know up in canada and he said it's going to be summer of next year if they open it i mean they could if this shit's still lingering um which you know i kind of think the more that this drags on i kind of think that when november rolls around it might be a magic wand and um, erase COVID, but uh, yeah, it it could linger on past that. All right, I um, I want to get real. Take a moment to honor somebody very special. June twenty third, lost a great man, Mister Ron Stanfield. Um, I only knew Ron for two years, and I know the impact he made on my life. Um, you guys are awfully blessed. You got to grow up with that man. Uh, tell me your best Ron Stanfield story related to waterfowl hunting. Uh, well, if it wasn't, if it wasn't for my dad, I would never gotten the hunting business. Dad was a, uh, he was the coach off of, uh, bad news bears, the original coach, buttermaker, whatever. He fireman drank beer, partied, had fun. My mom and dad got divorced when I was five years old, but my dad was there. Never had to have uh, visitations. I could see my dad anytime I wanted. And he saw us. We saw dad two out of three days. He was a fireman. So 24 out of 48. We saw him those two days. He was off every day. He coached kid baseball, did ship, took his fishing, hunting. So I would never got in the hunting business if it wasn't for my dad. Now, my dad was not a perfect dad in the fact that he wasn't a Ward Cleaver type dad. He was more of the fun. You know, dad didn't want us spending the night at his house. He was going to go out and party and stuff at night, but he would be there first during the day and stuff. Dad was a great dad. But so I have a lot of memories with him over stuff. But my favorite time probably was Lake Winchester, which is a very famous Playa Lake in the Knox and Haskell area. We were, I was probably 10 and Tony was eight and we had a duck blind there. And dad, my dad never, ever was five minutes early to anything, Asher. So we got to the duck blind at shooting time. We carried in a hundred shells, which was which was our daily limit. Was a hundred shells. We didn't kill about birds. We just shot a hundred shells. Statute of limitations is over. On yeah, this, big by time. The way. And we sat down in a blind, and Dad was dicking around me, Tony, and um, 
zip the dog were in the blind and i was shooting an 1100 and we were the birds were flying in and dad was trying to get the decoys untangled <laughs> and he was cussing dumb bitch trying to he was had his buck knife out and he was cutting lines and tying <laughs> deals in there and he had just a blob of decoys in the middle and them fucking ducks were di- diving in and i think i shot 16 ducks before he got to the blind tony was bitching and crying dad just shooting everything and Dad wouldn't let Tony load his gun until he got there, but I was allowed to shoot on my own. And so here's this guy sitting in the blind, sitting in the middle of the decoys, and I'm shooting ducks over his head with an 1100. <laughs> and every time I shoot, he'd cuss, and then he'd send the dog out. So it took Dad 30 minutes to get the blind, and I'll never forget that day. And I had a lot of good memories with Dad, funny ones, but that's probably one of my best memory waterfowl memories with him. What about you, Andy? Um, I, I there's a ton. You know, he helped me. He was a dog trainer. He helped me train my dog. So a lot of good quality time there. He also was a a, carp, a painter, carpenter, a fixer upper, and uh, he helped me remodel my house. So there's a lot of memories. But the one that sticks out to me. So like going back earlier into the podcast, I wanted I wanted to be a guide from the time I was little. Well, when you're a little kid, ten, twelve, eleven. Um, fuck, I did that out of order. I don't know why, but when you're in that age range, you can't call the shot and that's what I wanted to do. So, um, I'd go out and fucking, you know, Dave Reese is calling the shot. I don't get, why can't they hear my voice? So, um, every year around Christmas, the guides would go home and Jeff would always book a hunt or two, you know, Christmas Eve, he'd have a group come in and, and then leave that day, no lodging or meals or anything or the 26th. And, um, it would just be Ron and I, Ron and I would take that group. And, um, you know, I told Ron one day, like, listen, I want to, I want to be the one to call the shot. So if, if you'll just tell me when I want to be the one to holler, kill them, take them. So, um, we got that ironed out on the way to the field. And, um, from that day forward, anytime, obviously until I could tell when the, when it needed to be called, sure. um, Ron would sit next to me and then he would kind of, when the birds were close enough, he'd kind of give me a little tap and then I would be the one to holler, take them. And, um, that, I mean, that's just a, that's just a fun little story. Cause I can remember that drive to the field telling them like, listen, this is important to me. I want to be the one to, I want to be the one to say it. If you'll just tell me when to say it, I, d- I don't care about that part. I don't care about the decision being made. I just want to be the one to announce it that we can shoot. And, uh, and that's what, and that's what we did. So every time, uh, every time we hunted together up until I was, you know, 14, 15, and I could tell when the shot needed to be called, that's how we would do it. And it was, uh, it was, a, it was a special time in my life because like I said, I want to do this forever. And he, uh, he was accommodating, but I've got, there's a ton of stories. That I've yeah. Heard. I don't, I certainly don't have the, you know, the Ron Stanfield stories that you guys do. I think my best ones come through, through Instagram messenger but um he loved you, know, you. I, I i'd have a i'd have a shitty outing and it'd be you know be like man you know like that's okay you know you'll be back in there tomorrow you know yeah. go get them tomorrow and i mean honestly i bet for a year and a half straight i mean i i don't know that maybe five or six days went by that we didn't speak through facebook messenger and i mean i'm talking every day and that guy I might be up in the middle of the night. It might be three o'clock. I might wake up to piss and that guy would respond like <laughs> right away. And I'm like, what is he doing awake right now? Like, why is he not sleeping? He'd be like, oh, you know, I'm in the office or this or that. But man, I just, I'm so thankful that 
one that I got to know Ron and got to share a blind with him. That was so special because he talked about him seriously all summer. He was like, I'm going out. I'm hunting. I'm hunting. And even when we got there, y'all were like, dad, you can't shoot. Like you've got this, I think it was a porter. Yes. Something. And yeah. you're like, dad, that you can't shoot. And he's like, damn it. I'm shooting, you know, like I'm shooting shot left hand. And, uh, it was so, that was so cool. Um, you know, because he had talked about it, talked about it. And he's like, I want to go and I want to go. And I know his, his big goal was to make it, um, you know, to election season and to, you know, to be able to cast his vote for president Trump. Um, but you know, we, uh, he, he left such a, an awesome legacy for you guys. And, and even just us at dive bomb and the guys that, that got the pleasure of knowing him. Um, you know, I'm just, I'm so grateful for it. And, um, he, he was just an incredible person, really just even, even at his age, you could just tell the way, you know, he lit up a room. So I, I can imagine, you know, the guy in his heyday in his twenties and thirties, I can imagine he was, he was a lot of fun. So if your dad, Jeff was on this podcast with us right now. And I said, Hey Ron, you got, got 20 seconds. What do you think he would say? At first, he'd probably tell you that he wished you wouldn't retire in baseball because <laughs> I think he, he loved you more than he did me and Tony. Uh, I, boy, Dad is so hard. I, I don't. I, I don't. I don't. Even, I couldn't even. Imagine. What about advice? Like what? It, like what about some good advice that he could pass on to somebody through his his years of of uh, you know Patience. knowledge and. Patience. graciousness and kindness to other people patience be patient patient he, as he in just dead. be patient in the way your life unfolds or, or i'll tell you what he would say don't wish your life away he used to tell me that all the time i'd say god i can't wait for hunting season live in the moment yeah well it just like one summer we were out here and i was like god i'll be going it gets cold winter gets here don't waste your life away it goes by too fast I'm like fuck, it sucks right now. He said, "Don't waste your life away." Don't wish your and, life away. don't wish your life away. And as I've gotten older, I realize that when he says that, what it means. Because once it's gone, it's gone. But don't wish your That's life. What, away. I really see that with the kids. You know, I find myself always looking forward to the next thing. But I'm like, man, these are the this. There's nowhere else I want to be right now. Why am I constantly looking forward to the next thing or the next trip or the next season? So, um, I think as humans, we have to do that. I can't imagine the guy that has nothing to look forward to. That just That's stuck in a, an office every day. Just and be a depressing life. Right. And just, to, you know, well, tomorrow's Wednesday or whatever. So, right. but dad used to say that all the cut. Don't wish your life away and find something you enjoy doing in life and do it. There's not a lot of people that die broke that have had a great life. And my dad was that guy. He didn't have a lot of, you know, a lot of fancy anything. He did what he wanted to do from the time he was probably 16 years old. And I don't think dad had a lot of regrets. He told us he didn't many times. He just wished he'd have done more of it. That would be what he would say. He would say, do more of it and do it better. Yep. So that would be well, his, that would be his advice. I'll tell you a funny story about dad and Andy. If you want to hear it real quick, Asher. Yeah. yeah. Dad was, Andy was probably 12 years old. And <laughs> we was at lunch one day in the lodge and dad was asking Andy about having a girlfriend or something. And Andy said, yeah, I can't wait till I get older. And all the girls got big boobs. Dad goes, well, son, I <laughs> he goes, I hate to tell you this, son, but some of them are, aren't ever going to have it. <laughs> you know, you're, you're that's little... the kind of Ron Stanfield story I was looking for. Oh, I've got, oh, man. I've got lots of those. I that's hilarious. I tell you what, ass, a trip. He was an ass man, though. So, like, you know, he wasn't a big boob guy. I'd talk about boobs, and he'd say anything more than a mouthful is a waste. So, 
He'd start at the floor. <laughs> he'd start at the floor up is yeah, what he'd say, checking them out. <laughs> well, a trip to Knox City or in the Big Honker Lodge will never be the same. Uh, but you know, do have the wonderful memories of him there, and uh, it'll, and everybody will always carry that. I think all of your guests and clients that formed a relationship with him will always find a, you know, kind of a special piece there where. You know, we had uh, some fun times with Ron. Dad, Dad left a good legacy. We're going to have a scholarship to give to all the ladies at the, the for all the kids of someone that worked at the hospital in Knox City or the first responders. We're going to have a, an annual scholarship that we're going to give to in his name. Dad will never be forgotten, and Dad had Dad had a great, great, great life. He didn't. He died with no regrets, and he was ready to go. And he was suffering, and we were glad that he's gone. And I think it was harder on a lot of other people than it was the immediate family because we we'd been dealing with this for so long with him. All right. Having him on the podcast, that that no matter where this podcast takes us in the future or what it's done in the past, the greatest gift that we've gotten from doing this podcast is having him on. So we had him on, you know, two years ago and just mm-hmm. being able to we've got all of his stories. The, there he's been on so many times. He's told most of his stories. There's very few that uh come to mind that if I went far back enough, I couldn't listen to again. So being able to just turn on a podcast with Ron and hear his voice and hear him tell a story. Yeah. That's, I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. So that, that was a real treasure. He had a black guy try to stab him one time. Dad said something the black guy didn't like, and they got in a fight, kind of got pulled a big knife out. And he was swinging it at dad. He's like, say it again. Dad's uh, uh-uh, you didn't like the first time I said it. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Well, I, uh, you know, I, I always look forward to our time down there and I, I absolutely can't wait to get back. I know we're, we've got quite a lot in between, uh, when we come see you guys, but, uh, what are your plans now that Canada's closed? Where all are you going? Just man, we've, we've got it. We've got it pretty much, uh, dialed back in. It took, it took some, some work getting stuff, uh, uh, logistically set up with a schedule because I mean, we basically had seven, eight weeks in Canada right. going from one place to the next. So then when all that out the window, we, we had to make, uh, some scrambling adjustments and we've done a, a nice job filling in the calendar for a lot of different early season honker dates. Uh, we're going to Cold Bay, Alaska for a week. We've got some, some of those upper, uh, Midwest States, Wisconsin, Michigan, Minnesota, uh, New York, uh, We've got a lot of lot of dates filled in, so uh, we're going to be staying pretty busy. Where are you hunting at in upstate New York? We'll be uh, Eastern View Outfitters with Bryce Collins in Plattsburgh. And when we're there, you can actually kill 15 a person, and um, you expect to see some, some pretty good piles from that trip. That's going to be um, – Let's see. That one is going to be September 23rd, 24th, 25th, right before we head to Cold Bay, Alaska. So, What was your outdate on all this? So, like, you kind of knew there were grumblings early in the summer. that Yeah, Florida yeah. Was Me and Nick's been out. talking. Uh, we've, we've been discussing it for probably a month now, and I'd say two weeks ago we said, okay, it's time to time to make the move, start making some other contacts, contact some other people, see if we can slide in somewhere. Cause we got, we got, I mean, we got full-time traveling staff. Right. We got five people. Yeah. Um, we got five people that full-time travelers. I didn't even count, you know, 20 in St. Louis. So, um, you know, we got a job to do. We got to get on the road. We got to start making things happen, content, relationships. Um, so, 
So two weeks we're, ago, we're y'all were just it. like, fuck it. We got it. We yeah, got two it. weeks ago, completely accident, contact everybody in Canada, said, hey, if we want to start rescheduling for next fall, uh, we, we, none of us could have uh, expected this. Uh, we still want to help you guys out as much as we possibly can. And everybody's been totally great, totally understanding, uh, mutually happy both ways. And uh, we're all good moving forward. So good. Well, I feel sorry for them guys up there. There are a lot of them old boys ain't going to survive this. That's going to be tough, ain't it? You know, isn't that, isn't that something that, you know, some of these guys jump into it with both feet and, and they've got, they go in and buy some zones, get some money saved up, you get operating, or maybe it's your first year you're planning on operating. Maybe you bought them last year and and uh, you maybe you just don't have a lot of coin or a lot of backing financially and then something like this happens and, you know, I tell you what, that's that's tough. I'm feeling for a lot of people. There's a lot of guys struggling. Even the really, the really, the good ones and the established ones that are going to make it through this, they're they're hurting very badly as well, losing losing their books. A lot of them kind of saw it coming. They started offering specials for uh, residents of Canada, and there's some that's been able to fill some books to make some money, but it's going to be nothing like you know what they were hoping on. So our thoughts and prayers are with everybody up there th- during this time, and and they're with everybody, but. You know, as I've said, being in the waterfowl industry, naturally, we uh, are going to send our deepest sympathies to the people we're directly related, involved with, and have a relationship with naturally. So, um, you know, thoughts are with all, all these guys and and uh, hope that they can make it through it financially, find a way to, to get through it, and, and hopefully come out the other side and keep rocking and rolling. So We haven't started hunting in America yet. Yeah. I mean, no, I, but we're about to. Yeah, it's coming up uh, August fifteenth, I mean, uh, North Dakota. What I mean is that it hasn't guaranteed that some governor and some goofy. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. shoot, dude, you have, you might have states. You they might require two week quarantine uh, crossing state lines. So you're you're right. They're, we're far from out of the woods. Me and Michelle well, are going to New York. New York's one of them. Yeah, isn't we're it? we're going to New, New York state? October nineteenth to look at the fall leaves and stuff. When you get older, Asher, you'll do stuff like that too. Yeah, but. We're going to be from there to New Hampshire. And shit, I called the other day looking for some hotels. Hell, the places we want to stay are all right now are, are shut down. And I was like, son of a bitch. So I, I just, I don't, I hope that this ends. But man, in Democratic states, you know, that, that kind of, they very, they concern me. But your trip to Plattsburgh, I'm awful jealous of you. I looked it up on the map. I love upstate New York. What's beautiful up there? I'm looking forward to it. I can't You're wait. Th- and apparently it gets pretty. Uh, apparently, hunter bird, hunter plus bird honker shoots uh, when we're going is is very. It's it's not rare. Uh, it's, it's, it's not rare. Yeah. So. Where you find into Manchester? Are y'all y'all got uh, little, little dive bomb plane? You're no, gonna yeah, but we're not going to take that because we're we're going to be going there. Um, Burling from uh, from uh, from there to Cole Bay, so we're not going to be doing that. I think we'll be flying into. Um, Probably Burlington, I would say. Yeah, that's pretty close. Yeah. Well, that'd be a flight to Cold Bay. Woof. No shit. Yeah, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. But that's all right. We're looking forward to it. Brant, Lucian, Canada. So, well, man, I appreciate you guys. As always, you know, um, if you have anything you need or whatever it may be, I'm, I'm a call or text away. Thank you so much for sitting down. I know I know a lot of people will enjoy uh, this one and um, I had a lot of fun, so I appreciate you guys. Hey, slide some of the widgeon silos back for us. <laughs> Put them on that crate coming here one day. <laughs> Don't run out. All right. I'll see what I can do. Thanks, guys. I'll hey, talk to you all soon. Thanks. Thanks, Bye. bud. All right, guys. There it is. Uh, 
man, those guys are great. Looking forward to getting back down there. Uh, I believe it's November 14th and 15th and working on those early season specs, uh, God willing. With Canada closed, they're not going to know what the hell hit them. Uh, novice winner of our online live goose calling contest, Austin Collins, he's actually going to be joining us on that trip as well. So that'll be a good time. The professional division winner was Mike Benjamin, and he will be joining us at Cadillac Creek Outfitters in December. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, if you never knew this competition took place, you better get on Facebook and join our closed Facebook group, Dive Bomb Ministries Forum and Fan Page. Make sure you are following us on Instagram. And I'm telling you, you're going to want to be subscribed to our YouTube channel. We hit the road Friday for North Dakota to join our friend Matt Peel at Dirty Bird Outfitters to kick off the 2020-2021 campaign. So the grind's about to begin. We've got over 150 dates lined up on the schedule for the next seven months. So it's time to buckle up. For you guys cranking up this weekend, we wish you safety and the best of luck. Thank you a ton for your continued support. Y'all be good. Thank you for listening to the Dive Bomb Squadcast.